Predictable Success by Les McKeon. One sentence summary. Predictable success leads you through the various stages of companies and alternative paths they can take and might take depending on their actions, showing you the safest path towards predictable success where you consistently achieve your goals. My favorite quote from the author is, the single most powerful characteristic of the predictable success organization is the existence of a culture of self-accountability. Les McKeon There are a lot of books about starting a business. There are also a lot of books about getting a business out of a crisis. There are almost no books about keeping your business in a successful state after you've overcome these first two stages. This is one of the rare exceptions. I don't know if Les McKeon came up with the model of predictable success all by himself, but it's pretty genius either way. He addresses those first stages, the stuff that happens way before you come out on top, but then this book spends a good amount of time on actually staying up there, which is not something many people talk about. Especially since the internet's around, industry giants have crashed, burned and disappeared almost overnight. Nokia, Kodak, Blackberry, anyone? So having a good plan for maneuvering even the best of times is more important than ever. Here are three lessons to help you get your business to predictable success and keep it there. 1. Your business must first move through the three stages before predictable success. 2. Always keep simplifying the decision-making process along the way. 3. Once you achieve predictable success, install two systems to keep it that way. Ready to climb the mountain of business and stay on top? Let's get to work. Predictable success lesson 1. Pass the three stages that come before predictable success. This answers the question, how do I even get to the point where my business makes success on a predictable basis? First, Les McKeon describes three stages that come before predictable success is achieved. Stage 1. Early struggle. Stage 2. Fun. Stage 3. Whitewater. The early struggle is mainly a struggle with two questions. One, do enough people buy my product? And two, can I pay my bills in cash? If you want your business to join the exclusive club of companies that have made it past their first year, finding answers to these two questions should be your only concern. Question one is mainly about marketing, but question two is rather easy to deal with if you follow one rule. Have three times as much cash as you need. It costs you $20,000 to stay in business for a year, have $60,000 on hand and you'll be golden and ready to move to the fun stage. This is where you know you have enough cash and sales keep coming in. The business seems to be growing all on its own and it's fun to watch. Beware though, that means the white water stage isn't far. It's when demand suddenly exceeds your ability to meet it, which is where most businesses get sloppy. But not you. Predictable success lesson 2. Never stop simplifying how you make decisions in your company. This answers the question, how can I prepare myself for the stage of predictable success before I get there? The way to deal with whitewater and actually get past it is to make decision making simpler. This is something you should continuously do as you grow, as it might prevent you from entering whitewater in the first place. For example, if you get too many orders and people expect you to make a decision, and you face that scenario many times at once, you are likely to get overwhelmed and tell them to either drop quality or cancel orders. Both bad decisions. 
If you can push decision making down the chain and let people take responsibility to handle these situations without relying on you, you're free to decide on more important strategic matters. When you need a new CFO, just ask people in the finance department what kind of person they need to lead them and involve them in the decision. Once you hire one, assign him or her to someone from the finance team to work out their role. Basically, allow people at every level to make decisions. Equip them with the responsibility they need to keep your company moving in challenging times, instead of trying to control everything. Predictable success lesson 3. Install two particular systems to keep your success predictable. This answers the question, when I have reached the predictable success stage, how can I make sure I stay there? Done it? Maneuvered the whitewater stage and came out on top? Awesome! To keep it that way, Les suggests you install two systems in particular. One, data, debate, decide, defer. And two, make risk-taking a part of day-to-day -day operations. The first system, the system of four Ds, is a drop-dead simple way of making decisions. You're either collecting data, for which the 40% rule helps, or setting up a discussion where you debate however long you need to debate until you can either make a decision to act or defer the entire idea to a subgroup in the company or outsider. You might know the second system from Google. They call it 20% time. Every employee gets one day per week to work on whatever they want. That's exactly the kind of institutionalizing risk Les talks about. You're not messing with the core parts of your business, but you're still giving your employees room to be creative, take risks and innovate, which will help you stay a market leader for years to come. My personal takeaways from predictable success for 2017. Okay, first off, I'm nowhere near having a company near predictable success. So you might think, how removed is Nick from this particular summary? But hold your horses. I think I have two or three valuable points to share either way. So first of all, I want to explain the 40% rule, which comes from the data, debate, decide, defer system, specifically the data part. Um, the 40% rule says that you should never make a decision before you have 40% of all the available information that pertains to it. But you should never, it's actually called the 40-70 rule, I think, you should never have more than 70% because that means you waited too long, okay? So below 40%, it's kind of dangerous because you're more going off your gut and not really making an informed decision. But over 70%, you've waited way too long and collected too much information and it's actually going to become harder to decide because you have so much info that you need to work into the decision that it becomes very challenging to actually pick one option and stick with it, okay? So whenever you need to make a decision and you have data coming in, um, use the 40% rule, go with that, and don't wait it out or don't say, this needs to be the perfect decision, we need to perfectly align our, uh, our marketing team with that, blah, blah, blah. Forget that kind of crap, right? Um, I'm trying to think of an example where I regularly use the 40% rule um, so what I what I do what my information process is and that part I do get a lot of data because I run all my stuff online so first of all I only check my numbers on Saturdays or sometimes on Sundays but only on the weekend and only usually once a week right so just earlier today I was tempted to check some data again I was like nope it's not helpful right 
I have so many places where I get different numbers in. I get viewing and reading stats on Medium where I republish, right? I get viewing and upvote stats on Quora. Um, I have views, user sessions, uh, number of users, source where they came from, all this Google Analytics data from my blog, right? And four minute books. Um, I have sales data for the four minute folio, which is on Gumroad. I have uh, sales data for affiliate, which is on affiliate dashboard there. I have uh, Amazon uh, Amazon affiliate sales, right? There's another dashboard. So I have all these different kind SEO data, Google Webmaster Tools. Man, there's so many places where I can collect data. And in the beginning, I checked these like every day. Every day I looked at them and I was like, oh man, today's a bad day or like today's a good day, awesome. But it doesn't make any difference, right? Because I would write a post either way. I would record summaries either way. So my day-to-day doesn't change that much from these data. So now what I do is I try to only go into these when I have something specific I actually want to check or I think is important to check. So for example, when I write a new article that's gonna that I want to rank for SEO reasons, right? So I'm targeting a certain keyword. Say something about self-awareness. Recently I did that. So then I went to Google Keyword Planner and I put in a couple of keywords for self-awareness and looked at which ones I can probably win at. Like, aren't, are they searched enough so that it gives me a, a valuable stream of traffic, but not too much so that I can actually rank for it because my site's not that big. I'm not Forbes or Lifehacker after all. Uh, and so on, right? So then I went in and got the data. And then after I had the post out, I could check on a weekly basis just search for that specific keyword and get the information and see like, okay, where do I rank on average? Rank 20. Okay, so that's good. I, it has potential, right? I can get it to rank higher and so on. So uh, first of all, wait until you need the data to collect it so, or either collect it on autopilot, but don't check it. So you have it when you need it or 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 start collecting it when you actually need it, which is something, for example, I'm doing for the structure of the summaries, where I have three summaries which are popular and get a lot of traffic. I put different structures on there. I put heat maps on there. And now I just let it collect data for like a month or two, right? And then I look at it. Uh, and then use the data just in time to make the decision. And again, when you don't have all of it, that's also no problem. Just take 40% and then make a decision that you need to. Okay, that was the 40-70 rule part. Uh, another thing I immediately thought of was uh, simplifying your decision making in your company, right? I'm not at the point where I've hired a virtual assistant, but I will at one point. I'm 100% sure. I have tons of things like republishing and so on that a well-trained virtual assistant could take off my hands and it would make my life a lot easier and free a lot of my time. Now, uh, if you have a company that's like that's making 200 million a year or something along those lines, like a company where somebody I know works, and you you're stuck in a place where the CEO needs to sign off every, for example, a fellow a competitor company of my dad's, right? They, uh, the CEO of that company has to sign off every pair of safety boots um, that the production workers get, and a pair of safety boots, I don't know, it's probably two hundred bucks or something. So for every single pair, the CEO of the company and the company has two hundred, three hundred, four hundred employees has to sign off. And that's the kind of kind of uh, control freak uh, 
behavior that causes problems because it keeps the CEO from doing his job, which is deciding way more important things than whether somebody should get a $200 pair of safety boots, which everyone needs anyways if they work in production. So that's a non-issue, right? What Tim Ferriss did in his company, BrainQuicken, before he sold it, was when he did the whole four-hour workweek thing and he pulled himself out of the company, he said every decision up to $500 is on you. And every employee in the company had the capability to make decisions up to 500 bucks, right? Every secretary, every... So if there was something, a gift to be sent, right? Or a pair of shoes to be gotten or or a machine, uh, somebody to be called to service a machine for 500 bucks, every employee could make that decision. And that made his life so much easier. And the surprising thing you usually find when you p- give people responsibility, they will not screw up. Or at least in 9 out of 10 cases, they won't, Right? It's a lot easier, and this is something Gary Vaynerchuk keeps talking about, it's a lot easier to give people responsibility and then let, force them to sort of lose it, right? So so give them something to play with. And if they lose your res- the, the responsibility or if they, if they don't act responsibly and they lose your trust, then you can still say, mm, I'm going to revoke that. You don't get to decide that. That's okay, right? It's a lot easier than trying to control everything and not give off any decision power to someone else in the beginning. Uh, and then when you've hoard it so much, you're, you're overwhelmed and you, you get into a place where you just can't decide things anymore. Okay, and lastly, what I want to share is I'm in the early struggle stage, obviously. I think I'm close to the fun stage. If I get two to three more products up with a thousand bucks in revenue a month, I'll be in a fun place where I can sort of, uh, uh, what is that, lean back and have enough cash on hand and coming in so that I can focus on just growing the stuff I want to grow, the, the stuff I already like. And that's going to be a lot more fun. So I'm looking forward to that, obviously, uh, and prepare for white water. But this is where I'm in. Um, wherever you are, I hope you will take away some of these lessons and keep them in mind or come back to them when you need them. Uh, I hope this was fun for you and I will see you on the next summary.